Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, A Living Stone, A Chosen People, Part 2. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, We also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Welcome to our summer series titled, What We Need to Know or Reaffirm. Our summer series is sourced in 1st and 2nd Peter. Last week, in our episode titled, A Living Stone, A Chosen People, Part 1, August 8th, we examined 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, as they are one sentence in my Bible. Verse 4 shows how Christ is compared to a stone in this metaphoric language used by Peter. We learned, by comparing Christ to a stone, a living stone, this metaphor or comparative, depending on your descriptive choice, was very definitive. It said, Christ is the rock on which the church is built. He is the foundation stone on which every believer is laid. We then learned in verse 5 that we also are compared to stones. We live in the same quarry and are the same by nature as the rest of mankind. Until we are dug out and separated from the quarry and other stones in it by the powerful and efficacious grace of God. We will continue studying in verse 6 of chapter 2 in the book of 1 Peter. Our passage reads For it says in Scripture, Look, I lay in Zion a stone a chosen and priceless cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So you who believe see his value, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stumbling stone, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. First Peter Chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. It should be noted in verse 6 that Peter is quoting when he said, Look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and priceless cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. We find this quoted statement in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, Scripture reads, So, The Lord Jehovah says this, Behold, 
I place in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He who believes shall not hurry. Hurry? What does Isaiah mean by that? To help, let's read that verse from Isaiah chapter 28 in a different version. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Master, the Lord, says, Look, I am laying a stone in Zion, an approved stone, set in place as a precious cornerstone for the foundation. The one who maintains his faith will not panic. Panic? Panic over what? That sounds worse than hurry. Commentary gives us some good understanding what is being said here. Shall not make haste or be impatient for the fulfillment of this prophecy, but patiently wait for it, knowing that it is for an appointed time and will not tarry, and that God will hasten it in his own time, or will not make haste to lay any other foundation, being satisfied with this that is laid, nor make haste to a strange God, to another Savior, knowing there is salvation in him and in no other. The Targum is, shall not be moved when trouble comes, being founded upon this rock of ages, which is proof against all storms and tempests. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. There it is, not to hurry or to panic, which is a form of impatience. When one panics, one tends to scramble to solve the issue causing the panic as expeditiously as is possible. Like a fire in a home kitchen stirs panic in the person seeing it, who immediately, without haste, seeks something to help them put the fire out before it engulfs the kitchen or even the home. This is what we are talking about here despite the descriptive wording used, haste or panic. Commentary made two really good points. Not to make haste or panic means not to be impatient for the fulfillment of those things spoken in the Bible about the times we live in and what we see in those times. This global pandemic is one such event. Notice, too, what commentary also said. Shall not be moved when trouble comes. That means, in today's sense, that we are not panicked by a global pandemic. We are not moved into a state of fear by a global pandemic. We are not troubled by a global pandemic. Yes, we are saddened, even grieved by the loss of family, relatives, and friends, as this pandemic has no boundaries. This is not what Scripture is talking about by a pandemic troubling us by the loss of loved ones. Feeling such grief is not an inhuman or even ungodly response to what we experience in these last days of which will be both joyful 
and saddening of many people. Remember, one can be sad at the loss of a loved one without being moved by fear and or trouble. I personally believe that it is the heart of this particular portion of Scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 2. To be clear, I wanted to address that right away to give understanding to what Scripture is saying. So often, this passage is interpreted in a wrong way. My intent was to give a more clear understanding. So, let's backtrack a bit now to cover the other aspects of this passage. In order to show what is the true foundation of hope and trust for security from death and hell, and to convince men of their vain and false confidence, as well as to comfort the people of God, such as truly feared him in Jerusalem, who, bearing the judgment denounced, might conclude that they were going to be cut off from being a nation, and that the family and kingdom of David would be at an end. And then, where was the promise of the Messiah? Wherefore, to relieve the minds of such, a promise of him is delivered out in the midst of a denunciation of judgment upon the wicked. Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, which the Targum interprets of a king, and Jarki of the king Messiah, who undoubtedly is meant, as is clear from Romans chapter 9, verse 33, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, and not Hezekiah, as Kimshi and others, who was now king when the prophecy was made, and therefore cannot respect him, but Christ, who is frequently spoken of, under the simile of a stone, and may be compared to one for his usefulness in the spiritual building, being both foundation and cornerstone, and for his great strength and durableness. And this is a stone of the Lord's laying, which he had been laying in his eternal purposes and decrees as the mediator, savior, and redeemer of his people, in whom he was about to lay by sending him forth in the fullness of time to be incarnate, suffer, and die for them, in whom he lays the foundation in the effectual calling of his people to build their faith and hope upon, and this is done in Zion, in the church, which is built upon him, and where he is revealed and made known to be what he is, and as here described. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. Notice this associated verse among others, from commentary. It reads, You saw that a stone was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It smashed the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold into pieces. The great God has made known to the king what will occur in the future. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is reliable. From Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. 
again. Do you see the consistency of Scripture? Notice how this commentary passage that referred that verse we just read opened. It said, In order to show what is the true foundation of hope and trust for security from death and hell, and to convince men of their vain and false confidence, as well as to confirm the people of God, such as truly feared him in Jerusalem, who, bearing the judgment denounced, might conclude that they were going to be cut off from being a nation, and that the family and kingdom of David would be at an end. And then, where was the promise of Messiah? That commentary passage ends with a really good question. There are four thoughts expressed separated by punctuation. This leads us to the conclusion that believers might conclude that they were going to be cut off from being a nation and that the family and kingdom of David would be at an end. That thought certainly incites our commentary question then where was the promise of Messiah? Do you understand their logic here? Let's dig a bit deeper. Commentary said further, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, which the Targum interprets of a king, and Zarki of the king Messiah, who undoubtedly is meant, as is clear from who is now king when this prophecy was made, and therefore cannot respect him. But Christ, who is frequently spoken of, under the simile of a stone, and may be compared to one for his usefulness in the spiritual building, being both foundation and cornerstone, and for his great strength and durableness, And this is a stone of the Lord's laying, which he had been laying in his eternal purposes and decrees. Notice this point. Christ, who is frequently spoken of under the simile of a stone and may be compared to one for his usefulness in the spiritual building, being both foundation and cornerstone, and for his great strength and durableness. We learned this last week. Do you see cohesiveness of Scripture even when comparing the Old and New Testaments, as we did above? If for some reason you do not, you need to look into your Bible longer and deeper. I hope that incites the desire for you to learn more in what Scripture says. Now, let us look at the commentary associated with our verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 6. It reads, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture. This is produced as a proof of the excellency of Christ as compared to a stone and of his usefulness in the spiritual building, and of his being chosen of God, and precious though rejected by men, and of the happiness, comfort, and safety of those that believe in him, 
Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. Christ is here called a chief cornerstone because he not only adorns and strengthens the building, but unites the parts and keeps them together, even all the saints, Jews or Gentiles, in all ages and places, whether in heaven or earth. And he, as such, is chosen of God for that purpose and is precious both to God and man on that account, and is a stone, not of men's laying, but of God's laying in his counsel, covenant, promises, and prophecies in the mission of him into this world, and in the gospel ministry. The place where he is laid is in Zion, the gospel church of which he is both the foundation and cornerstone. And this account is introduced with a behold, it being something very wonderful and worthy of attention, to which is added, he that believes on him shall not be confounded or ashamed of the foundation and cornerstone Christ nor of his faith in him, and he shall not be confounded by men or devils, neither in this world nor in that to come. He shall have confidence before Christ and not be ashamed at his coming. He shall be safe now, being laid on this stone, nor shall he be removed from it. or intimidated by any enemy, so as to flee from it, nor shall he make haste, as it is in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, to lay another foundation, and he shall be found upon this hereafter, so that his person and state will be safe, though many of his works may be burnt up. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. Now, notice this from that commentary passage. He, meaning Christ, is chosen of God for that purpose and is precious both to God and man on that account. He is a stone, not of men's laying, but of God's laying in his counsel, covenant, promises, and prophecies in the mission of him into this world and in the gospel ministry. The place where he is laid is in Zion, the gospel church, of which he is both the foundation and cornerstone. This account is introduced with a behold, it being something very wonderful and worthy of attention, to which is added, he that believes on him shall not be confounded or ashamed or hurried or in a state of panic. Can you see how this all fits? How we can mourn the loss of a family member, other relatives, 
or even friends, and yet have an inner peace and calm that seems to other people as unnatural. It is this unnatural peace and calm that passes all understanding that others will see in us and question. To those who are unsaved, it will make no common sense to them. They will wonder how one can be sorrowful because of the loss of a loved one, and yet there is this strange, to them, peace and calm of spirit in us because of Christ in us. Notice this last portion of commentary. He shall have confidence before Christ and not be ashamed at his coming. He shall be safe now, being laid on this stone, nor shall he be removed from it or intimidated by any enemy so as to flee from it, nor shall he make haste. Notice, you cannot be removed if you are in Christ, meaning you cannot lose your salvation in him. Notice the descriptive language in this commentary passage. It is talking about those of us who are saved in Christ. We can read that commentary passage this way. We shall have confidence before Christ. We will not be ashamed when he comes again. We are safe now, even in a pandemic. We are laid on this cornerstone, and we shall not be removed from it. We will not be intimidated by any enemy. We will not flee from it either. Amen. Next week, we will examine further the second chapter of First Peter in our episode titled, A Living Stone, A Chosen People, Part 3. Play or download next week's episode where we will find greater definition of what a living stone is and who these chosen people are. Play or download next week's episode from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. Also, please check our show notes for links to our website and other information you would want to know. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, 
give our episode titled Introduction About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sunday's U.S. East Coast time zone. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Our website is located at this address, unchurched.site123.me. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.